For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is he not your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples, according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock, with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats, with the very finest of wheat, and you drank foaming wine made of the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook, forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them, I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation, for a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth and its increase and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spread my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of the beast against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword shall be bereaved. And indoors terror for young men and young women alike, the nurse and child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say our hand is triumph. It is not the Lord who did this, for they are a nation void of counsel and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand? How could two have put ten thousand to flight unless the rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not our rock, our enemies, 
are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison, their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asp. Is this not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasures? Vengeance is mine, and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. The Lord will vindicate his people and shall have compassion upon his servants. And when he sees that their power is gone, and there is none remaining, bond or free. And then he will say, Where is their gods, the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever, as I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, all heavens. Bow down to him, all gods, for he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Thank you, Brent Skelly and Aaron Snow for reading the first part of Deuteronomy 32, the Song of Moses. As we approach the end of the book of Deuteronomy and uh, really the end of the life and ministry of Moses, Moses uh, sings the song over God's people, the song that celebrates God's faithfulness and goodness and also exposes the unfaithfulness of mankind. Moses ends this song with a proclamation of warning against disobedience and a command to obey. A command to obey for life and for legacy. And this is good news for us today because it leads us to Jesus. Look with me at verse 44. After Moses proclaims this song over God's people, Verse 44 says, Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children and that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you were going over the Jordan to possess. Friends, I want us to look at two things this morning to see what God said through Moses to his people and how this leads us to Jesus today. The first is this, is that the unfaithfulness of mankind is very real very present, very serious. 
Throughout generations, God's people had been repeatedly unfaithful to him. He is reminding them through the song of Moses in chapter 32 that he is a faithful God who made them, who has cared for them, who has led them out of bondage into a land of freedom. Time and time again, God has proven his goodness to them, but God's people have repeatedly been unfaithful. And I want us to look at three ways that unfaithfulness expresses itself both biblically in this story and for you and I today. The first is disobedience. Unfaithfulness is an act of disobedience. What that means, disobedience can be either something that we fail to do that God has commanded or something that we do in total opposition of God's command. See, we can sometimes do things like sins of commission or sins of omission. Sins of commission means that you were going to do what you were not supposed to do, meaning if you were to walk out of here and go murder someone, you were not supposed to murder somebody. If you go kill somebody, that is an act of commission. You are committing a sin, and that is an act of disobedience to the Lord because one example of God's command is do not murder. But secondly, we see disobedience can mean a sin of omission. That means failing to do what you are commanded to do. For instance, if Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and you say, no, I am going to not love my neighbor as myself, well, you are disobeying. And so this is a hallmark of unfaithfulness of mankind. God's people, Israel, had repeatedly disobeyed the Lord by doing things they were told not to do, and also by failing to do things that they should be doing. This is disobedience. This is an act of unfaithfulness, and it is expressed in our life today. Secondly, we see unfaithfulness can mean disloyalty. Disloyalty. It could say we are going to find our identity in something else or someone else other than who God has made us and called us to be. We see Israel does this repeatedly by finding their identity. Some of them were finding their identity in Egypt where they had been in bondage. We see through the legacy of the Exodus story for 40 years, there were many times where God's people had said, you know, we should just go back to Egypt. Even though we were enslaved there, at least we had food to eat and a place to lay down at night. And so unfaithfulness can be an act of disloyalty by saying, you know what, I don't want to be loyal to God. I want to be loyal to whoever gives me comfort. Whoever gives me a false sense of security, maybe, or, or, or some sort of identity. Maybe it can be cultures around you is what happened to Israel as well. As they are traveling, some of them started to adopt other gods and other cultural practices, thinking that that would make them happy. Unfaithfulness can be disobedience, but unfaithfulness can be disloyalty by finding identity or security somewhere else rather than where God has called you or made you. Thirdly, Unfaithfulness can be expressed through idolatry. That means serving other gods, having your heart's affection and mind's attention toward some other god. It could be something religious. It could be something spiritual. It could be something cultural. It can be yourself. And as Moses sings this song over God's people, he recounts the unfaithfulness of Israel and unfaithfulness of God's people. And that is true for you and I today. Israel did it. You and I do it today. God's people today are unfaithful. We are disobedient, we are disloyal, and we are idolaters. So I want us to pause for a moment to hear this bad news so that we can look to the good news. In what areas of your life are you disobedient to the Lord? By either doing something active that you know God has warned you to not do, 
or by failing to do something positive that God has commanded? Are you actively doing things against the Lord that he has warned you to not do? Or are you active or passively not doing something positive that God has commanded? What does that look like in your life? I have my issues. What are yours? What, is, what does disloyalty look like in your life? Where are you finding your identity and security somewhere other than who God has called you, made you to be? Are you finding your identity in some relationship that you have? Are you finding your identity in some sort of status in your work, in your school? Are you finding your identity in some sort of cultural connection that you feel like you have? And all of that is stealing your loyalty to the Lord and his people? See, it can be expressed in many different ways, but it plays out in the context of community where we find our identity somewhere else other than where God has created us and called us to be. It is expressed by our disconnect from God and his people. What does idolatry look like in your life? Is there someone or something more important to you than the Lord and his people? Do you find your driving motivation in all of life? It could be something seemingly good, some sort of religious or spiritual thing, but it's devoid of the gospel. It's an idol. Do you find yourself pursuing things that maybe God is not in, but you think it's going to bring you happiness? Are you a self-serving person? That is idolatry. See, Israel did it, we do it today. What does unfaithfulness look like in your life? This is why the Lord, through Moses, sings this song of proclamation over God's people, warning them against unfaithfulness. It is a chronic problem. It is part of the human condition. That's the bad news. But the bad news, against the backdrop of the bad news, we see the light of the good news shine. You see, part of chapter 32 is not only warning against the unfaithfulness of mankind, but it is reminding God's people of the faithfulness of the Lord, where God's people are unfaithful by being disobedient, disloyal, and idolatrous. God proves his faithfulness to them through forgiveness and restoration. You see, God never turns his back on his people, even though they turn their backs on him. God never forsakes his people, even though they do that to him. You see, God even gives warning here of destruction, of wiping people off the earth who hate him. God even declares war against those who hate him. But I want us to see where the good news is for you and I today because God's faithfulness to his people in that is that he gives us forgiveness, he gives us restoration so that we are not the recipients of his wrath, so that we are not on the opposite side of the battlefield, but rather we get rescued and brought into his kingdom, into his family. Because if you read this, it should cause you to panic if you read some of these verses where God says, I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood. My sword shall devour flesh, the blood of the slain and the captives. That is scary stuff. I do not want to be on the opposite side of the Lord. But the good news is that God and his faithfulness grants forgiveness to his people and restoration. And this leads us to Jesus. This is why he says, rejoice with him, O heavens. There is great joy in the forgiveness and restoration of the Lord. So as you look at chapter 32, this long song of Moses recounting the unfaithfulness of mankind and celebrating the faithfulness of God, if you read all of this, if you have just heard, as you've just heard this morning, how does this point us to Jesus? 
I want us to think for a minute at Philippians chapter 2. If you want to make a note, it'll be on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul shows us how Jesus is the faithful Son of God incarnate, that he is the incarnate God being faithful on behalf of unfaithful people, that he is the obedient Son of God on behalf of disobedient children of God. Listen to this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, as we look at the unfaithfulness of mankind and the faithfulness of God, you see, God is a covenant-keeping God. And Paul writes in Philippians 2 that Jesus Christ was in the form of God, was equal to God. So if we want to look at the faithfulness of God to God's people in Israel, if we want to look at how massively awesome God is, the God that says, I am holy, I am good, I am gracious, I will not take those hating me, I will not accept those rebelling against me. I am waging war against sin and brokenness. I will repay those who hate me. I will make arrows drunk with blood. That awesome, powerful, wonderful, amazing God is Jesus. Jesus is that God incarnate. The apostle Paul says he was in the form of God, that he was equal with God. You see, Christ Jesus is the faithful God incarnate. The God who can wage war against sin and brokenness sets foot into human history to dwell with those unfaithful, rebellious, disobedient, disloyal, idolatrous people. Think about that for a second. Think about that. Deuteronomy 32, God's saying, I can wipe off the earth those who hate me. And Jesus says, I am that God. I'm going to come dwell with disobedient, disloyal, idolatrous people. That should blow our minds. That should cause us to pause and examine ourselves and to reflect on the forgiveness and restoration that a faithful God brings. Because Jesus Christ is that faithful God incarnate. He was in the form of God, equal to God. But you see, Jesus being God also was human. He was fully God and also fully man. And so Jesus coming into human history as a man was the faithful, obedient son of God on our behalf. Look at verse 8 of Philippians 2. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's an important thing to see that the first couple verses we look at here say, hey, he was in the form of God. He was equal to God. Jesus was God. Verse 8, being found in human form, Jesus was human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. As Moses in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy recounts the unfaithfulness of mankind, saying, hey, look, God's people are repeatedly unfaithful. They're disobedient. They're disloyal. They are idolatrous. Jesus comes in as the faithful God and says, I am taking on human form so that I can be the perfect, obedient 
son. Where mankind is disobedient, Jesus is obedient. Where mankind is disloyal, Jesus is loyal. Where mankind is idolatrous, Jesus worshiped God the Father alone. He did this on our behalf so that we could be counted righteous before the Lord. Because left to our own devices, we should be those who receive the arrows of God that are drunk with blood. We should be the recipients of the wrath of God because of our unfaithfulness, our disobedience, our disloyalty, and our idolatry. But Jesus being fully God, form of God, equal to God, was also fully human. And scripture says, he humbled himself and became obedient He lived a perfect life that all God's people should live, but we don't. He even died a death as our substitute. Christ Jesus is our faithful God incarnate. Christ Jesus is the faithful, obedient son of God on our behalf. Christ Jesus is our forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. You see, Jesus is, grants us the freedom and forgiveness that all of the Exodus story is pointing to. As Moses is ending his life and ministry in Deuteronomy 32, sings this epic ballad over God's people saying, you are repeatedly unfaithful, disobedient, disloyal, idolaters, but look how good God is. He is one who forgives us. He is one who brings restoration. He has set us free from bondage in Egypt and is leading us to a land of promise. Jesus Christ brings full fulfillment to that. Jesus in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And the riches of his grace are monumentally epic because he is God. In Christ Jesus, we have restoration. We are made new personally, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That good news means that Jesus not only is God in the flesh, that God grants us forgiveness and restoration and redemption through Jesus, that that Jesus lived the perfect life as the obedient son of God that we should live but can't, so he does it on our behalf. And then he makes us new. That means Jesus changes us from the inside out so that we will no longer be disobedient, but will be obedient because of the riches of his grace. That we will no longer be disloyal, but in Christ we are loyal. That we are no longer idolatrous, but in Christ we will faithfully worship God. See, what happens here is that in Christ we are made new. The old has passed away, the new has come. The gospel is not get rid of the old, put on some new, and then you'll be in Christ. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought I need to obey, I need to be loyal, I need to not be an idolater, then God will accept me. Paul does not say, therefore, if you want to be a new creation and want the old, you need to get the old out of the way and you need to put on some new stuff and then you will be in Christ. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, that means Christ is, The faithful God incarnate has come and obeyed on your behalf. He grants you forgiveness and redemption because of the riches of his grace. Therefore, if you are in Christ, you're a new creation. That old disobedience is gone. That that old disloyalty is gone. That old idolatry is gone. 
The old has passed away. The new has come. You are now an obedient son of God. You are now a loyal daughter of God. You are now not an idolater, but a faithful lover of the Lord. Now hang with me because I know you're thinking, wow, this is big, huge concepts. How does that play out in our life today? You see, this is what I love about it too is that Jesus does this personally. That's what Paul says, if anyone, like any person, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. But you know, Jesus is gonna do this like cosmically. Revelation 21.5 gives us a glimpse of Jesus seated on the throne saying, behold, I am making all things new. That's amazing. Can, can you grasp the fact that the God of the universe who created everything is renewing and making everything new in the cosmos? We see that in Revelation. That same God is stooping down to your level to say, I'm going to make you a new creation as, as an individual, as a man, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl. I'm going to make you new. The God that like explodes supernovas is going to reach into your heart and say, I'm going to tenderly shape your heart from a disobedient heart to an obedient heart. I'm going to take your disloyal heart and make it loyal. I'm going to take your distracted, idolatrous mind and make it a worshiping mind to the Lord. Can you imagine that? Can, you, can we wrap our thoughts around that for just a second? <laughs> That the Lord of the universe who is making all things new is making you new as a man, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl. That is good news. So, so how does this apply to us today? Because we, we looked at this huge section of Deuteronomy 32 and we've glanced at a couple verses in the New Testament and it's so much I just wish we could just spend all day talking about it. But I'm trying to connect some dots for you to let it marinate on your brain and in your heart. And at the end of this, toward the end of this chapter, Paul, or sorry, Deuteronomy says this from Moses in verse 46. After singing this song, Moses says, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children and that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you were going over the Jordan to possess. Moses says, heed the warning of unfaithfulness. Heed the warning. Take to heart all these words I am warning you today. Be warned of disobedience. Be warned of disloyalty. Be warned of idolatry. And warn your children of that. Because it's out there. There are things fighting for the hearts and minds of our children, the same things that are fighting for your hearts and minds. We need to warn our children and say you are not going to find fulfillment in those things, but we need to look to the God of the Bible who is faithful in Christ, who is obedient on our behalf, who gives us forgiveness and restoration. Lean in on Jesus. We need to warn against unfaithfulness and point our children to faithfulness. Why? Because Moses says, be careful to do all the words of the law. They are no empty words for you. See, Moses says, these aren't empty words for you. Command them to your children because they're not empty words for you either. They, they are for you and for your children. They are your very life. 
By this word you shall live long in the land that you were going over the Jordan to possess. So friends, I just want to challenge us all to develop a a rhythm of constantly exposing the unfaithfulness, disobedience, and idolatry in our own hearts and minds and and, and teaching that to our little ones, to our our children. If, If you're here and you don't have kids, there are people in your life to teach this to. And you have a heart and mind that you need to teach this to, to warn against disobedience, disloyalty, and idolatry. And to lean to Jesus, who is the faithful God of forgiveness and restoration, the faithful, obedient son of God, the one who gives us renewal personally and cosmically. We need to teach this to ourselves. We need to teach it to our ch- each other. We need to teach it to our kids because God's word says it is no empty word for you, but it is your very life. It's your life. It is your life to know the scriptures. It is your life to know the truth of God. It is your life to know that he who was in the form of God did not count equality God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It is your very life to know that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. It is your life to know that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. It is your life to know that he is making all things new. That's good news for us, friends. So what do we do now? How do we take to heart this good news? How do we warn against disobedience and disloyalty and idolatry and faithfulness? How do we warn against that? And how do we walk in obedience for life and legacy for us and the generations after us. Friends, I'll say this, a couple ways we can do this very practically. First, no particular order, but first, um, saturate your life in the scriptures. Just read the Bible as much as you can. You don't have to read whole fat sections every day. You can take little nuggets. It's like eating a meal. You don't want to choke on the steak. It's okay to have a little French fry appetizer or whatever. If you, need a, if you need a Bible, we will get one for you. We have some. We want you to be reading the word and meditating on it. If you need help getting on some sort of Bible reading plan, we will help you. We, we want you to be reading the Bible and thinking about it and praying about it. So, so that's one way is to saturate your life in the scriptures. It is your very life, Moses says here. Secondly is, is to be um, connected in a worshiping community. You're here today, so there you go. To, to be consistent in worshiping alongside each other through music and singing and prayer and fellowship and hearing the word taught over you to be connected in consistent worship, to be connected with a missional community. This is when the, the, the truth of this is walked out in daily life. Connect with other believers through a missional community. If you're not in one, we want to get you connected with one. We have options, days and locations. See our guest services table. We want you to connect with people so that you can sit down and and have this truth played out in life. We want you to connect with a DNA group. That means to, to, to meet with one or two other believers where you can sit down and say, can I just confess to you my unfaithfulness? 
in the security of a relationship with each other at a Waffle House somewhere, you can sit down and say, I just want to tell you where my heart is being disloyal to the Lord right now, where my actions are being disobedient, where my, my heart is wanting to worship another God. I'm seeking pleasure, comfort, fame, and money over seeking the good of the Lord and his people. Like, we want you to be in a relationship like that with somebody. We want you to have fulfilling friendships that are biblical. We want to be investing in the next generation through acts of service, whether that be here with redemption kids or in the lives of other believers in this church or even connecting to those outside. We have so many people in this church that are involved with some great ministries. I'm just going to throw the Young Life card out there. I love you guys. You've ministered so much to those in my family, folks like who are involved with Young Life as an example, who are passing this truth of the gospel to the next generation. Those who are involved with missions going near or far to Uganda or going to um, other ministries in town to pass on the truth of this. So friends, as we take a few minutes to reflect, I want to ask you, um, what areas of your life do you need to repent of unfaithfulness? God is faithful to forgive us in Christ, so if there's an area of your life where you are unfaithful through disobedience, disloyalty, or idolatry, confess that to the Lord and repent. What area of your life do you need to obey? What is your view of Jesus? If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want you to know that Jesus is God incarnate who lived the perfect life on our behalf so that he could grant you forgiveness and restoration. We want you to uh, receive that truth. And if you want to talk more about that, please grab me or one of our leaders here and we will walk through what the gospel is with you. We're going to have a time of response in a minute, and like we do every Sunday, there's a few ways to respond. The worship musicians will come back and lead us through music. You can respond by singing, by meditating on scripture, by praying, by talking with somebody if you need to. Um, in the back, we have a basket for giving. If you were part of the ministry of redemption, you can respond by giving back toward the ministry, uh, gospel ministry through this church. Um, and also before you, you will see communion. We have wine and juice and bread that is set out before you. It is a way for us to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. It's an opportunity for us to pause and reflect on our brokenness and unfaithfulness and also celebrate the faithfulness of God in Christ and what that means for us. Logistically, if you have uh, gluten issues, we have a blue bowl over here and under the white uh, paper towels is um, a gluten-free option. Uh, if you need that, it's there. If you don't need it, please use the regular bread um, and wine and juice on the other sides here as well. I'll read from um, the Apostle Paul writes, and 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone eats or drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
So we have an opportunity here to reflect on the warnings of Scripture and the truth of the gospel. Uh, let me pray. Father God, thank you for uh, this morning, a time to gather with your people as your people, as family and friends. God, I pray that now you would stir up our hearts and minds toward you, Lord, that we would confess sin, brokenness, God, the unfaithfulness that is expressed in our lives through disobedience, disloyalty, and idolatry. And God, may we look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, the God of faithfulness incarnate, Jesus, the faithful, obedient Son of God on our behalf, Jesus, the one who grants us forgiveness and restoration. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive this good news. Lord, that you would shape us as individuals, make us new creations, getting rid of the old and uh, bringing in the new through Christ. And Lord, that we would see your work of making all things new. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would move by your spirit in our hearts and minds for your glory and our joy, and that the gospel would advance to the nations. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.